0: As 2021 draws to a close, I'd like to wish everyone Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Truly, this season would not be merry had it not been for the most important birth in the history of time, that of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So as we remember and celebrate the incarnation of our Lord, let us not forget what Christmas is really about, the ultimate gift of God sending His Son to save man who could not save Himself. Accordingly, today's episode is a sermon I preached back in December 2017. The title of the message is The Day Joy Was Born and was originally broadcast on our other podcast, Preaching Christ. In this sermon, learn who the Prince of Peace is, why he was born, what he came to do, and why the birth of the Messiah was the day when true heavenly joy was born. Our scripture focus will be from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Lord, I have asked the congregation to stand and please turn to Luke chapter 2 verse 10. As we will first pray and then read the word of God. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Luke chapter 2 verse 10, the NASB says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Please be seated. So church, on this Christmas Eve morning, the title of my sermon is, The Day Joy Was Born. And we're going to talk about the birth narrative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 2. That's in the New Testament. That's in the second half of the Bible. The story of Jesus, the story of God becoming a person in Jesus Christ doesn't actually start in the New Testament. It doesn't actually start in Luke chapter 2. It starts in the beginning. It starts in Genesis. You see, in the beginning, when the Bible first starts, there was peace, there was harmony between God and humankind. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in perfect peace with our Heavenly Father. But then war broke out. A holy war broke out. And because our first father, Adam, sinned, and deviated away from God's perfect instruction. The ones who waged the first blow in the holy war with God was us. It was Adam. And as a result, you no longer had peace, but you had conflict. Now you had a wedge, a gulf that separated God and humankind. But as Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, they didn't leave without a promise of a Messiah, of a Savior who would come. And before Adam and Eve leave leave paradise, in Genesis 3, chapter 15, God tells them one day a seed of a woman, a Savior will be here. That will crush the head of the serpent. That's where the story of our Messiah begins. And all throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, there's an undercurrent. There's this recurring theme over and over and over again that the Messiah, the Savior, he's coming. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, we have one of those instances. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So throughout all of the Old Testament, the messages: is the Messiah is coming. And then in the New Testament... In the second half of the Bible, where we're going to find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 2. The message is now. The Messiah isn't coming, but the Messiah is here. So now we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2. And this tells a story, so let me set the story up. In the beginning of Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us that during the reign of Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, why is Luke doing this? See, myths begin anytime, anywhere, with whomever and wherever. Myths begin by saying things like, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away chapter 2, it tells us history. It gives us a specific time, a specific place with specific people. So Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome and he has a smart idea. He says, why don't we initiate a census Let's tally everyone that lives in the territory of the Roman Empire so that every man, every head of his household, must now travel back to the place of his birth so we can count people and now levy taxes. So Joseph and Mary now have to travel 80 miles from northern Judea, northern Israel, from a town called Nazareth, which still exists today. And they have to travel 80 miles south in southern Israel to Bethlehem. And by the way, at this point in history, Joseph is betrothed. Joseph is engaged to the Virgin Mary. Mary. The Virgin Mary means, guess what? She never knew a man, but she was pregnant. Hmm. How did that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Mary was a virgin, and in her womb, she carried the Messiah. She carried who would be born, little baby Jesus. But she never had intercourse with another human being. This was God telling us. This was God giving us instructions that the Messiah who one day would be born would come into this world not as a function of human effort, but as a function of the sovereign, provident will of God. And that explains how a virgin could be with child. Beloved, Jesus is not the Son of God because he was born of a virgin. No. Rather, because Jesus is the Son of God, he couldn't be born any old way. Which is why the conception was miraculous. So Joseph and Mary have to travel 80 miles south from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And by the way, these instances, these historical events colliding, are not random events. Because 700 years before Joseph and Mary traveled south to Bethlehem, the prophet Micah prophesied and said, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Caesar Augustus calling for a census, Joseph and Mary traveling 80 miles south, this isn't happenstance. These aren't random events. These are the fingers of a sovereign provident God weaving his fingers through the fabric of reality to bring everything together according to his sovereign will. And then Luke chapter 7 tells us this. And she, Mary the Virgin, gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Talk about an understatement. Mary gave birth to the Messiah. And Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. Beloved, this this are one of the instances in the Bible we call this a biblical moment. This was not only history, it was historic. These are one of these crucial turning points that changes the course of history forever, the day that Jesus was born. His birth was so critically important that it split human history in half. Time is defined by stuff that happens before Jesus was born, and it's also defined by stuff that happens after he was born. You may not even like God, but the fact that he split time tells us you're never going to get rid of him. The birth of Jesus Christ tells us that God is faithful, that he's trustworthy. The promises and the prophecies he made hundreds and thousands of years prior did come to pass. The birth of the Messiah tells us that God will not leave us because that's who the God of the Bible is. Now, this incarnation, God taking the form of a human being, this is something unheard of. This is something miraculous. This is a religious truth claim that only Christianity makes. Now, what could possibly explain this? What could possibly give us insight into why God would empty himself... And be made in the likeness of a man. And there's an old story which is told every Christmas season, which explains the mystery of the incarnation of God becoming a person. And that story is called The Man and the Birds. And here's how the story goes. There was a man one Christmas Eve, and he had a wife and children. His wife and children went to a Christmas Eve church service, and he stayed home. He was a non-believer. So the wife and the kids go off, and he's in his living room by the fire reading the paper. And he begins hearing banging on the doors. Bang, bang. So he goes to the door and he opens it up, but he sees no one. So he figured it must be the wind. So he goes and sits back down and continues reading the paper. But he keeps on hearing the sound, bang, bang, bang. And then he realizes coming from the window So he opens his drapes and sees birds flying into the window. They were attracted to the lights. They were attracted to the fire, but couldn't see the window. So they fly straight into the glass and then fall to the ground, injured and unconscious. So the man, he has compassion on the birds, so he steps out of his house. And the story then says, quickly, he put on a coat, galoshes, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them. So he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them waving his arms. Instead, the birds scatter in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then the man realized these birds were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I am not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them, to confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see, hear, and understand. And then the story tells us the man fell to his knees, weeping, as he heard the church bells ring because it's that at that precise point he got it he understood why god took the form of a human being and he lifted up his hands to the sky and he praised god beloved god incarnated God became a man so that we would not be afraid, so that he could show us the way to safety, so that we could see him, hear him, and understand him. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ means that God, remaining what he was, God, became what he was not, a man. And is now fully God and fully man in one person forever. And that's the richness and the depth encoded in one verse. Luke chapter 2 verse 7. But now Luke tells us the scene changes. And now we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And what that text says, verses 8 to 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But they were frightened and terribly afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. In verse 9, we are told Gabriel the angel gives the shepherds a message. There are only two angels in the Bible that are given a name. One is Michael, the other is Gabriel. This is why this is important. Whenever God sends Gabriel to give anybody a message, it's always a big deal. Gabriel is never sent to tell someone, you're going to get a new job in 2018. Nope. The news Gabriel delivers always changes reality forever. And what was the news that Gabriel delivered? He said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And that good news of great joy is that the Messiah, he's here. The Prince of Peace, he has been born. Our Redeemer, our Deliverer is now here. His good news of great joy was that today is the day that joy has been born. There's no longer a chasm. There's no longer a gulf. That separates God and humankind. Now there's a bridge because the Messiah is now here. There's no longer conflict between God and us. There's now compassion. The day joy was born, it was a joy so powerful, so magnanimous. It is joy that rocked the entire cosmos and heaven itself rocked the heavens in praise and exaltation of God Almighty. The birth of our Messiah changed everything forever. Good news of great joy. So what is this news? And what is the source of our great joy? The angel tells us in verse 11 to 12, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus was born. Jesus has the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus being born tells us that God is now with us. So when God looks at humanity, he no longer just sees human beings that are separated from him. Now he sees his son. And that same son aids us. That same son sympathizes with us. The God-man, Jesus Christ, stands between God and man. So God no longer sees our sins, but he sees the blood of his son, which washes our sins away. And because God became a man in Jesus Christ, God is no longer an enemy of humankind, but an ally with us. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. A Savior is someone who rescues you from danger in the same way that Moses, who was a type of Christ, he was sent to to deliver God's people out of bondage, out of danger, into safety. Jesus being a savior means he's not here to punish us for our sins, but to deliver us from them. Not to judge and condemn us, but to set us free. As Jesus even says in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Beloved, Jesus' name comes from a Hebrew word, Yeshua, which means God is salvation. In other words, God saves. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. Christ is a translation of a Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah, someone who is anointed. The birth of Jesus Christ, the day joy was born, tells us that God anoints God to save God's people by God's will and according to God's plan. Jesus wasn't a rogue agent. He wasn't an independent contractor coming here on his own will. He is is God and also God's anointed to fulfill God's promises and to save God's people. Jesus is the anointed prophet. He is the final and full revelation of God to us. Jesus is the anointed king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus is our anointed priest. Meaning the sacrifice that he made on the cross is final and eternally sufficient. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Lord means you can't get any higher than Lord. In the hierarchy of authority, at the top of the pyramid is Christ, is Lord, is Kyrios, And God had to send our anointed Savior into this world to save us. Because if the Lord didn't do it, no one else would and no one else could. The one who is in charge of our eternity, God, had to be the one who secures our eternity. Then Gabriel says, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, Gabriel, time out. I'm with you with the Christ Lord stuff. Let me make sure I have this straight. You are telling me that the Prince of Peace, our Messiah, is this baby lying in this manger? Yep. You mean the baby who has no teeth? Yep. Who's breastfeeding? Yep. You mean the baby who's in a manger, meaning there's animal byproducts and animals feeding in the feeding trough? Yep. You mean this baby who's with Joseph, who's a carpenter? Yup. The baby who's a Nazarene? What good ever comes out of Nazareth? You mean this baby who has a teenage mom, Mary? Yup. That is exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. There were zero signs of worldly power at the birth of our Lord and Savior. There was no trumpets. There was no parade. There was no pomp. There was no circumstance. Zero signs of worldly power. How can these things be? here's the first answer. God doesn't need to impress anybody. Whether God comes dressed as a pauper or as something, someone real fancy, guess what? God is still God. Yeah. And God coming into this world in lowliness, in humiliation, in a predicament that is looked down upon by human beings, tells us this is the type of Savior, this is the type of Messiah that he will be. He is a sovereign monarch, and he will accomplish his feats by coming into this world down low, only to ascend as king of kings and lord of lords. This is the king. This is the type of king that God is, a god of love, a god of hesed, who is eternal kingdom will not be built on an offensive of force, but one on an offensive of love and grace and humility. And he came into this world to tell us he's not going to conquer you with a sword, but he's going to be the suffering servant who will die for you. The birth of Jesus tells us that God abandons a sovereign position to accept a servant's place in order to engage a sinful people and be crushed in selflessness So that he would ascend king. So that's the good news of great joy. Who is this good news of great joy for? Gabriel says, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. You know what all the people means? I checked the Greek, it means all people. It means everybody, everywhere, all nations, colors, creeds, and tongues, the entire world. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute, a tax collector, a fisherman, a zealot, a liar, an adulterer, a murderer, a cheater, a shyster, an idolater, a rich person, poor person, black or white, slave or free. If you have a face for TV or a face for radio, Guess what? Jesus Christ realized that sin is a human problem. And no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus did not forget to pay for your sin on the cross. So what do we do with this good news? With this good news of great joy? We glorify God. We glorify God because we now see the Messiah. The Prince of Peace is the one who will bring peace. Verses 13 to 14 say, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. The birth of Jesus was the revelation of the glory of God. The baby lying in a manger was the real-life manifestation of the glory of God to us. And the heavenly celebration that Luke writes about is the legitimate response to God's indescribable Majesty and glory. And I'll close by saying this. When Jesus was born, he was born during what's called the Pax Romana, which is Latin meaning Roman peace. He was born during a time when the Roman Empire was going through a decades-long uh, episode in its reign where there were no internal or external conflicts. But that Pax Romana didn't last. There were wars that broke out. There were conflicts that broke out. And last time I checked, the Roman Empire fell. It was a temporary peace that didn't last. It was a negative peace only characterized by a lack of strife. But the Prince of Peace, Jesus, he brings more than negative peace. He brings negative peace. He brings positive peace. He brings an eternal, transcendent peace that will not end. And the peace that he brings is an ultimate peace that once and forever ends the conflict, ends the war, and closes the gap that separates us from our loving Father in heaven. And Jesus accomplished this peace by invading earth from heaven with love and grace in the form of a little baby lying in a manger. R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul writes about this peace and he says quote, This peace is the transcendent peace which brings an end to the conflict between men and God. To those who hear the message of the coming Messiah, the war is over. Peace has become incarnated in the Prince of Peace who came to reconcile us with God. End quote. Beloved, when you go home today and you spend time with your families and you enjoy your Christmas tree and you enjoy your gifts, all of those things are wholesome. All of those things make everyone during Christmas season happy. But what you will go home today knowing is what Christmas is really about. It celebrates the day that joy, true, heavenly, eternal, transcendent joy was born. And we have that good news of great joy because at last, the Prince of Peace is here and there is peace, there is harmony between God and his children. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for this season where we take time to pause, where we take time to meditate and reflect upon what you have done. And Lord Jesus, we are eternally grateful and thankful for what you have done in your life is something no human being could do. You are our great high priest. You are our mediator. And we, oh Lord, can only find rest. We can only find peace. We can only find solitude in the Prince of Peace, the one who was promised, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. And we shall go home today never forgetting who you are and what you have done for us. King of kings, Lord of lords, and the suffering servant who was pierced, for my transgressions and everyone's transgressions. Praise be to God. Amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit wcsk.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.